there, I'm Jen Therian, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm a former nine to fiver that dove into entrepreneurship eight years ago with zero business experience. I'm a wife, mama of two young girls, boutique owner, jewelry designer, and now the proud owner and coach leading Goldie Links Permanent Jewelry. I have a passion to empower fellow business babes. This podcast is made to equip you with everything you need to succeed, from actionable marketing steps to digging deep on your mindset. I know firsthand the heart, hard work, and let's be real, at times a struggle that makes up this amazing journey. You want to know what has enabled me to shine the brightest? Coaching plus community. Here at Goldie Links, we share openly, educate, and lift each other up. Expect to get linked with fellow PJ owners that will do just that, sprinkled with plenty of fun along the way. Competition is an old school thought and connection is the way. Get ready to feel inspired. Welcome to the Goldie Links Podcast. Hey there, did you know that I offer a permanent jewelry membership? It's everything you need in order to scale and elevate your permanent jewelry business. Marketing scripts, Canva templates, photo, video, supplier list, support, business expert masterclasses, bonus trainings, constant discount on Goldie Links permanent jewelry supplies, and trust me, there's even more. It is updated monthly and it costs less per month than what your customer pays for one permanent bracelet. I hope to see you in there. If you're interested and want to find out more information, go to goldielinksociety.com. And now back to the show. All your legal questions answered. I'm sitting down with Alyssa from Legal Doer. She is amazing, giving us all the 411 to set up your business for success and have peace of mind. From waivers, the structure of your business, contracts, it's all here for you, along with the waiver that she's offering specifically for permanent jewelers. So makes it easy for you. I'm all about ease when it comes to these things. <laughs> so we are making legal fun. I hope you dive in and get all the info that you need. Enjoy. I'm so excited that you're here with us today. This is Alyssa from Legal Doer, and she is going to tell us all the things I never want to deal with. So, <laughs> but first of all, tell us about yourself. I want to hear all about why you want to be a lawyer, where you are in your entrepreneur journey. Well, thank you so much for having me, first and foremost. It's been mm -hmm. wonderful getting to know you, and thank you for giving me this platform and opportunity to speak with you today. Of course. Uh, so a little bit about me. I hate kind of telling the story because it's so personal, but I think it's so important to share because it kind of sheds light onto why legal is so important. But a little over a year ago, my dad was in a terrible car accident, and while he was in the hospital, his trusted employees went and basically poached all of his clients, right? So his 40-year business was completely destroyed and taken out from under him. And did not have contracts in place to protect it. What did so he do? Do you mind me asking what was his business? Like, what he, he had a pool business. So, yeah. So, for like over 40 years now, you know, very established accounts, clients that were very obviously loyal to my father, but they didn't hear from him because he was in the hospital. They told the clients that my dad had retired. So, the story made sense. Like, they were totally bamboozled. The clients, I mean, at that point, the accounts had already been transferred and completely poached. Anyway, it is what it is. But even as his attorney daughter, I didn't realize that my dad didn't have these legal things in place. And not if we had the proper contracts in place, we could have done something about it. But literally, there was nothing I could do. And it was in that moment that I had a lot of friends with the pandemic starting their online businesses. And I was just like sick to my stomach 
that like me as a lawyer, because it's so expensive to go to a law firm, right? Like five yes. fifty now. I couldn't even afford me. You know? Right. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, that they're starting these businesses. I was like, I do not want this legal nightmare to happen to my friends and family again. And yeah. I need to make the law more accessible, right? To like just online business owners and creatives. So that's really what got me started. And it's been a passion project of mine. I love legal. I know I'm weird when it comes to that. But a contract, you can pay me all day to sit here and negotiate contracts and write contract terms. Basically, that's how I got started. And I've been growing ever since just wherever the need arises to really like make it a point that people get their legal in place. And I understand you all got started in these. A lot of us got started in these businesses besides me to be creatives and to to hone in on what you liked. And I think you even told me this. And I'm like, I hear this all the time where you're like, I do not want to deal with the legal, the bookkeeping, the accounting, the insurance, all that stuff is so daunting. And it's just like, take it off my plate. But once you get it done, it really does give you that peace of mind. And it really helps you with your business operations. And you're just able to really go back to focusing on why you got into business. Right. It's almost like you can start a business without doing it. But until something like that happens, like with your father, then you're like, oh my gosh, I should have had this in place, right? Then there goes your business. So it's obviously so important to set up the bones like of your business with these things. And like you said, I feel too, most people that go into business, like permanent jewelry is like, this sounds like fun. We love jewelry. We're creatives. Yeah. You're not thinking about all the other stuff. You're just thinking about the stuff you have to do to grow your business. And that doesn't really come into mind, even though it's super necessary. And like you said, it's like, it's intimidating, like to go to like, who do you contact? That's how I feel. And that's why it's amazing. You have so we'll talk about this, but you have so many amazing, like templates and things that people can use that for, you know, small businesses and online business. So which is amazing and makes it easy. And then also your Instagram, I was just like devouring it the last couple of days. And you literally have a post that I was laughing so hard because also we were talking about this. You have two young children, right? Yes. So we were talking about that. Five and, and two. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Okay. So you have a two-year-old. Okay. I have a three and a five-year-old, so I can totally relate. And uh, but you're, there's one reel that's hilarious. It's like being a creator or an online entrepreneur is knowing that you need solid contracts and legal protection to safeguard your business. But also, you would rather sing Baby Shark on repeat for a year than deal with the legal stuff. And I'm like, everyone that has young kids obviously can relate because Baby Shark on end is like you want to like literally bang your head against the wall. But you'd rather do that than deal. Yep. I get it. Stuff. I get it. Yes, I get it. It's like, oh, it's like, yes. Where do we start? Right. It's like, where and like we, we, were, we were talking before, which most people, a lot of people are doing this, are in this boat of being moms as well. And again, it's like one more thing that you have to worry about. And having your own business, you have to wear so many hats and like do all the things. So let's dive in. So, what is the first thing that you need to do when you decide I want to have a permanent jewelry business? What What do you need to do? Okay, so first and foremost, what kind of business entity are you going to form? Are you going to go into business as a sole proprietorship, which is just you as an individual doing business? Or are you going to set up a limited liability company? And that's going to be your first order of business. Now, I would say it's really, obviously, my lawyer response would be your first, your first thing is get your LLC. But I know that's not necessarily a realistic response. So I would say if you're just trying to decide between a sole proprietorship or an LLC, think about whether you want to have that personal liability protection, right? 
So as a sole prop, the business is you. You are the business. There's no separation. Okay. If you're an LLC, then it's technically a separate entity. So you're the managing member of the LLC. So the business obligations, the business debts, if you ever get sued for anything and there's a judgment, if you are operating your LLC correctly and you're not mingling funds or commingling funds, you have your operating agreement in place and everything is set up properly, then your LLC is the one that's getting sued, not you personally. So your home, your car, all that stuff is not on the hook because you set everything up correctly and you are separate and distinct. Now, that's all well and good. And you're like, okay, I do want that personal liability protection, but does it make sense for me at this moment? When I'm just starting out, do I want to invest in that extra step, right? Because it's an extra step. I would say ask yourself these five things. One, what is the cost to start and operate an LLC in your state? Some states are like $50 to file and get an LLC. Like it's not cost prohibitive, right? But in places like here in California, it's $70 or $90 to file. And then it's $800 for a franchise tax every single year. That may not make sense to you right? So figure out what those filing requirements, the mandatory annual reporting requirements, any filing fees, along with does my state have minimum annual tax or franchise tax requirements? So how much does it kind of cost me to set up this LLC? Second, do you want to claim your business name, right? Like, do you, do you want to own that name on the state level? Obviously, um, for you don't own it federally unless you you file a trademark. But do you want to prevent others from owning it in your state? Third one is how much personal assets do you have, or do you plan on having? Because if you're broke, there's not much to protect. To be completely honest, <laughs> you're what we call judgment proof. Because if anyone were to bring in judgment against you, you can't milk a dry cow. So they say. Sure, right? sure. Um, um, the next one is how much money. Or are you going to earn under your LLC? So there's a certain tax election. I'm sure everyone called, has heard it before. It's called an S-Corp tax election. It's actually still an LLC. Just for tax purposes, you are an S-Corp. So when you get to make around seventy-five dollars to $100,000 net profits, that's when you're going to want to potentially talk to your CPA or accountant about electing an S-Corp to save money on taxes. So that's when... You definitely have to have that LLC in place to be able to become the S-Corp for tax purposes. And then the last but not least to ask yourself is what are the legal risks in my niche or industry? Like how lawsuit prone are people in what it what it is that I'm doing? Based on those, figure out if it makes sense for you to get that LLC or to keep operating as a sole prop. Okay. And do you do you know of anywhere where they have a list of like a state by state of how much it is? And like, do you know of anything like that off the, the top watch, of your head? I wish. I okay, well, twenty. Great. So I will ask you first because I did find something, and I will check the legitimacy of it. But I am going to post a link in the um, show notes because I did find a great where it was state by state and told you the fee of every LLC and kind of gave you some guidelines, which I think is amazing. So I'm just going to make sure that they keep it current because I know that stuff can change. It was such a great resource I found. So sole proprietor compared to LLC, is there a fee to be a sole proprietor or no? Because you're just on your you're not. Yeah, there's nothing that you're filing. There's no paperwork. Like you there just, is no paperwork. Okay. You no. Know, it's not, just you. Like, yeah, to be yourself. Um, <laughs> to be yourself, that, you cannot, you don't have to file anything. You declare. You basically, for tax purposes, you declare, I have the intention of making money, and now I'm a business. 
and you're interesting. Okay, so but when you when you do it that way, can you still file for a seller's permit and things like that? No, or do you need? Okay, this is a great question because because you don't have to file anything to form yourself as a sole prop. That doesn't mean you don't have paperwork. Okay, so like the second step, the second step is regardless of you form a sole prop or sole proprietorship as you as the individual, or if you go ahead and form that LLC, you're still going to need to file for like what you called your resale or your seller's permit to collect and remit sales tax. You also need to look into your general business licensing requirements and any local legal clients. And you are going to need to file for those, whether you're an LLC or whether you're a sole prop. Okay. You can still remit sales tax, collect sales tax, because we were talking about this. You said seller's permit. I always call it a resale tax license. I know over here in Colorado, whether or not they're, they're named different things in different states, but that's obviously how I'm buying wholesale, what I use to file my sales tax, right? So you can do that regardless if you, however you structure your business. In fact, yes. you have to. Yes. yes. You have to. You have to. Yeah. Okay. Also EIN, where does that fit in? So you also, everyone has to get an EIN, correct? So it's optional if you are a sole prop. Okay. Definitely would do that as an LLC because then you don't, it's basically your business's social security number, right? Okay. As an LLC, you do need to get that federal EIN because then it attaches to you for tax purposes. Because it's a different entity than you, it needs its own social security number. So as an LLC, you do need to get that federal EIN. As a sole prop, you don't technically need it unless you're hiring employees. There are, There's other little requirements in there, but from a general standpoint... No, you don't have to get it. If you want to hide your social security number, say, because you have W-9s or other tax forms that you want, you can apply for that federal EIN number so that you can show that instead of your social. So it's an optional for a lot of general purposes. And before we get more into that, I need to put in my lovely legal disclaimer that although I am a lawyer, this is all being provided for general and informational purposes only because obviously when it comes to you know your state your local requirements and your situation personally it's best to really seek out a lawyer or get that legal advice to your situation specifically but yeah this is all more like generalizations okay i'm just going to backtrack really quick when you said llc and if it's structured correctly where you have all the correct paperwork you're literally making me think i'm like oh my gosh do i so I want to, I know we don't have to maybe cover that right now, but I know you have a great bundle that's like the things you need in place when you, you're, it's more geared towards online business. But again, like you said, even a permanent jewelry business, they can go through and like make sure and go through all these steps as we're talking about. Do you cover that in that bundle? Like all the, pay, everything you need to oh, file? The mini, the, the mini the course. The mini course. Yes. Yes. I go over, it's like a roadmap of like, here's module one of like, pick your LLC. Yes. I go over all of this. And although it is geared more towards online businesses and like digital products, so instead of like, oh, this is optional for sales tax because you're a physical business, it'd be like, oh, I have to get that. So yes, it definitely covers that and and all of the legal because obviously there's so much. Yes, there's so much. And that's why like I actually want to ask a question about tax, which we were talking about that because it's like, is this a lawyer question or is this a CPA question? But when it comes to actually like, because dealing a lot with online and digital products, because you know, we, as we know, services don't have to be taxed, right? Right. Okay. Certain ones. So, yes, for the most part. But of course, we're selling a product with a service. Like we're doing permanent jewelry. They're obviously buying a chain. Okay. So it, it does have to be taxed, correct? Yes. So that's why I, the online courses basically 
that would be literally like the only major difference (laughs) is that sales tax is sometimes optional for certain states. But when it comes to physical, tangible goods, those are always going to be taxed if your state obviously has sales tax. And it's not even just like state, it's like state, county, and city. Right. Okay, let's move on to waivers, because I feel like this is also a question a lot that I see if they if people really need a waiver. I know we can meet when I reached out to you originally, I was like, because we did even some research on our own because we actually I have not. I'm like, be honest, I have not had any waivers yet. So we're, we're looking to implement them. But it was kind of a discussion where it seems to be like, well, you don't need a waiver if you have the correct insurance and you have like, again, an LLC because but that that protects you. So kind of cover that. Like, why do do you need a waiver? So let's start there. If Do you feel you need a waiver? <laughs> yes, 100%. Okay. So with, say something happens. Say the, the machine malfunctions and you, heaven forbid, burn someone, which I know is so uncommon. I don't even know if it's even happened. But like, let's say it happens, right? Or someone gets injured in your, you have a brick and mortar and someone gets injured and you don't have a waiver, but you do have insurance and LLC. So what happens there? Like say they were to sue you or something or, you know. Right. So it's kind of like, it's like your own little legal bundle, right? So I would look at it as a permanent jewelry jeweler. I would look at it kind of like a stool, right? And so you need three legs to sit on that comfortably with true legal peace of mind. To be able to sit on that stool, you need all three. And all three is going to be your business insurance, it's going to be your LLC, and it's going to be your waiver. And they're all going to function slightly differently, and they're going to save your booty so much depending on the situation. And you're, we're not fortune tellers, right? Like, we can't like, okay, well, this X and X situation. Like, you want to protect yourself against all of those things, right? So someone comes in, and there's a welding accident. You, you accidentally burn the customer. Is that waiver going to protect you? It depends. Is your LLC going to protect you? It depends. Is insurance going to cover it? It depends. But wouldn't you want? Wouldn't you want all three? Right. So with the waiver, if you say say that you were negligent, okay, so you weren't following like the standard practices of what a typical jeweler should do, and that is why you burned the customer. That waiver is not going to help you because it's not going to protect you against your own either your intentional misdeeds. Or because you, not just an accident, but an accident that you could have foresaw and you didn't prevent against, right? So that waiver is not going to help. If, on the other hand, there was a problem with the jewelry that wasn't, you know, there was a problem with actual material, or say the customer themselves, like, unexpectedly moved and got burnt, now the waiver is going to protect you. And what I mean by protection is, I mean, it's going to give you your best possible defense in the case of a lawsuit. Or better yet, before you even get to that lawsuit, say like the customer is sitting there like, oh my gosh, you just burnt me. And now they're coming at you saying, you need to pay my medical bills. And you're like, I'm so sorry. First of all, I'm so sorry this happened, but that's why we had the waiver in place. Yeah. And you agreed that, you know, if something happened, like you moved, that I wouldn't be liable for that. So although I'm like super sorry that this happened, you don't have a legal claim. And maybe they'll walk away at that point. Or you can settle, you know, and you can have a mediator be like, you have no legal case. You know, it's just there's so many different factors to consider. But for me, and that's why I say absolutely yes. Because yeah, it's help. And there's no, yeah, exactly. There's no downside to covering yourself in every way you can, right? Just in case. Because hopefully these these things are 
few and far between. But of course, when they happen, they can be super devastating, right? So even if you say you, it's like taking off one of those legs, like I was thinking of it, like, okay, well, say you have a waiver and an LLC that covers you more, you know, I guess in your business, but you don't have insurance, right? Right. So, so then like, how, so the insurance is going to be the one that helps you like pay for it. Maybe right. and it depends on the exclusions. Again, insurance isn't the whole 100%. There's pros and cons to that one too, because maybe they have exclusions to it. Maybe they exclude your negligence. Maybe they exclude those things that the waiver would have covered or say for instance just that they're they're not perfect right so so usually with all three you can just kind of like cover yourself from those unexpected things because you never want to be made the example right i know it's true and then i even thinking like i don't know i mean knock on wood i've never been in court or like i brought to court or but i was like say you did i mean obviously doesn't it make you also just seem like i don't want to say may you make you be legit. But like, if you went there and saying like, Hey, I have this waiver, I have insurance and I have this, like I have all these things in place and this happened rather than just setting up and not having anything in place. And then of course it looks like you're very, I got, I want to use the word unprofessional, but just not, you're not a legit business or something. Right. right? It makes me look more like amateur. Right. right. And really like, it really lifts you up to be like, look, I have all my bases covered and don't mess with me. (laughs) <laughs> right. right. Like, and also like depending, you know, you want to think the best of people, but obviously there are people out there that will jump right to wanting to do something legally or something, you know, that that exists, I'm sure. Right. I'm sure you've seen that here in America. Yes. Yes. But if they know that you have they signed a waiver, but if they see they they, they didn't, they know they have maybe an oppor- open opportunity to be like, well, I didn't sign anything. So yep. it's just almost like the mindset of the customer, too. Like yes. if they walk away and something happened, they're like, oh, well. I actually signed this. So, but if I didn't, you know, anyway, it doesn't, it does, it leaves opportunities to not. I, and I think that's, yes, a hundred percent. Cause I, I've even had that in myself. Cause I, you know, I'm trustworthy. I have integrity. I, you know, I'm yeah. like, I don't think of those things. And then I've recently had that same thing where a customer took advantage of one of the things that I was just like, dang, like I didn't even realize that they could like take advantage of my integrity, you know? And it's like, they can yeah. use that stuff against you. Cause you're like, oh, well I'm trusting right? And it's like exactly what we said. You don't know who you're dealing with and it's better to just cover all the bases and it's simple enough, right? I mean, I know that's the extra paperwork. It's getting their signature on it and their date on the date of it, but there are electronic apps and there are electronic services, you know, just like even when you go to the gym or you take your kids to the jumpy jumpy or whatever yes, it is, yes. you have the little iPad, you have the little tablet, you have the, the POS, like you can have it on there you know, here's your liability way. As long as they can scroll through that bad boy and they have to click, I accept to it and they have their electronic signature, you're good. Like you don't have to make it into a long drawn out thing. And you do need a signature and a date for it to be legally binding. We already spoke prior to doing this that Alyssa is going to put together an amazing like waiver template specifically for permanent jewelers so that that can be purchased. And then it's just a template that they can plug in, right? Like can they edit that like to what they they obviously need to? They wouldn't even need to. They would literally just put in their business name, make it super easy. Like, let's not make this complicated. And then when we do have that waiver, say they purchase your template, what do you think the best way is like, I mean, people probably don't want a bunch of like paper, actual paper. Oh, for sure. so would they, how would they be able to utilize that maybe digitally? Like, how would they use that? So I would, I would get one of those managing services. So like through the apps or like the document services where it is a simple, just electronic document that you scroll down like I accept, and then they electronically sign it. And then it's stored for that customer. Either it's at the point of checkout. So they're standing there, they're getting you getting ready to give you their credit card or the cash. 
And they're like, before you make this purchase, please click and read through this disclaimer. You know, you have those little, you know, those little screens that you can have, or you can bring out a tablet or your phone, you know, I mean, it can be simple or it can just be on a piece of paper. But I know that that can be really tedious to keep track of. I know it's one of those things. We looked into some waiver apps and whatnot, and I know there's a lot of people talk about. So we'll we'll put that in the show notes too, and just our comparison because I know there's some that are free, and then over a certain amount of waivers, you do a month that's paid, and you know. So there are. I mean, Google Forms might be a good one. Again, I'm not too schooled in this, but I think that there are a lot of options, like you said. So, and even if you wanted to make it technically non-digital and free, you could just print them out, you know, and have them sign it right and just file it away. But yeah, or scan it and be like, okay, scanned and then name. Done. Yeah. Okay. So that's awesome. So with waivers, when does, and then I'm going to move on to contracts. So granted, I think when anyone would need a contract, right, is obviously when they have more of a brick and mortar, maybe they have employees. When do you need a contract in place? Okay. So anytime you're exchanging your services or you're getting paid, you want to have a contract in place. And mainly it's just so that both parties are on the same page. Me personally, I'm like, contracts are so good at saying, like, where are we? Are we on the same page? And also, you're able to implement business boundaries. Like, hey, this is what we agreed to. You can always blame it on the contract and point and say, yeah. hey, perfect. It's the contract. Like, this is it. So obviously, you brought up employees. You definitely need to have an employee agreement. I don't care if it's at will. You want to have that there. You also, especially if you're hiring independent contractors, you're going to want to have something there. So anytime you're exchanging something, it's just, it's not even necessarily the legality of it, but more of like, what is our relationship? What's the scope of our relationship? And what am I paying you for? And that way, there's not this miscommunication or bad blood down the line. It sounds like a weird, but this had popped in my head. Can you put anything in a contract? I'm just trying to think of something like so silly, but I was like, what can you technically put in a contract? So the law loves contracts. The law likes when two parties come together and there's a meeting of the minds and they're like, hey, you agree to this? Heck yeah, if you do you agree with this? Heck yeah. And you both sign it and date it and it's done. The law loves that because that's partnership. That's working together. What they don't like is one-sided contracts and when they become what the coin termed is unconscionable. So it's like you can't force someone to do certain things. Or if you are like, say you're one party and you have a lot of legal sway, the other person doesn't. Like there are certain things and it can get really technical. But for the most part, as long as there's offer, acceptance, and some sort of consideration, so payment, bartering, time, in exchange for something of value, you have a contract. And it's legally binding on both of you. Okay. It's also been a little kind of scary because I know like with online templates and generic contracts, that's, I think, for me, the scariest part because anyone can act like a lawyer. They can be a Google lawyer. And I know it's, it's easy to do. Um, but it's also, from my standpoint, makes me very nervous for people because sometimes you don't know what you're signing and you might be taking on legal responsibility and obligations that you aren't aware of. So I'd always completely read through a contract before you sign it because there is no, oh, I didn't know that was in their defense or they didn't tell me about that. You Once you sign on that dotted line, like I would always 100% ask questions. And if you don't understand anything, don't sign it <laughs> because right. you may be taking on something that you don't even realize. Okay. Going back to the waivers, there also has been a lot of discussion and I sent you some links of what I've seen in the permanent jewelry groups and about the federal like regulations when it comes to children 12 and under, the lead content of 
jewelry. At first, when I read that, I thought there was a federal regulation against permanent jewelry on children, which apparently from what I see, there's not. It's more or less the content of the metal. So I think a lot of people are, again, kind of veering away then from doing and not wanting to deal with it and not wanting to do, you know, put permanent jewelry at all on 12 and under. Because then the whole conversation came up, well, well, can we do clasps? Well, it has nothing to do with the permanent side. It literally is just the content of the metal. Well, when I sent you those links and you kind of looked over, what was your opinion about, I guess, this whole subject when it comes to, because there was something about getting a certification and, you know, even though we're buying this, these chains, we see what the company is telling us it's made out of, whether it's gold fill, sterling silver, pure gold, which is most of what we're dealing with. And we see there's no lead. They're telling us there's no lead. So say something were to come back where a child was affected by a piece of jewelry, there being lead in there. What happens there? What would protect that? Right. So at that point, I would close your business down and flee the country. (laughs) Just kidding. No. Okay. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm like the end. Bye. Um, Well, okay. Yes, I get it. When it comes to children, you know, the law protects the innocent, right? The law protects kids. So I understand from your perspective, it's like, okay, this is scary, right? Because we're getting into kids. Now, before we get into law part of it, when you were saying about waivers, anytime you are welding jewelry or putting jewelry on a minor, you're definitely, this is where the waiver comes in because children under the age of 18, and I say children because I know when you're like 17 or 18, you, when you're 17, you don't feel like a minor. But when you're right. under school, and at least here in America, that's the age majority. And you technically cannot give true consent. And that's what the whole informed consent waiver is all about. And so with the waivers, this is really, really more important when it comes to putting jewelry on minors. You definitely want to have that waiver. And the kid isn't the one that signs it. It's the parent. As the parent or legal guardian, then you need to get their permission. And I know just like in reality, you're like, okay, but they're 17 and their parent weren't there. Then I'm going to put that in your discretion, right? Like I'm going to throw it back on you and say, you, you do you, boo. Like you figure that out. I don't know. But if I'm going to draw a line and say, if you're dealing with 13 or 14 year old and under, I would not. I would definitely have that waiver from with a minor and their parent waiver. So then back to this whole, is there a federal law? What the heck? So I saw it. It's the Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act. And essentially what it's saying is that there are these certain standards for children's products. Now, I hone in on the fact that you're a permanent jeweler. Like you are not selling these specifically to children. These are not children's products. So to me, that's already like, hey, this doesn't apply to you. But then you're like, okay, but like, I'm still nervous. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but also this is a requirement for manufacturers and importers. You're not that. This is for them to certify their compliance with this whole lead standard. It's for them to provide you as the jeweler with that lead certificate. It's for it's on them. It's their duty to tell you as a jeweler, hey, this is pure gold. This is quality metal. Here's the purity and here's the lead content. And so like that's what I guess your duty as a jeweler is to talk to and find credible manufacturers and importers of your jewelry and say, show me that certificate. Show me the purity test. Show me that what you're saying I'm buying is what it is. And then you have fulfilled your legal duty to verify that. Now, when you turn around and and sell that piece of jewelry, whether it's to an adult, whether it's a child, that law does not require you to send out individual certificates for that piece of jewelry. That's right. It's not for you. (laughs) Yes. 
So when it comes to, I guess my mind just went to, I know we're doing a lot of in-person, but even when it, because I mentioned when we were talking about this, about people that sell bracelets, for instance, clasp bracelets, beaded bracelets to children on Etsy, right? Or and any online store. I wouldn't say they sign a waiver, but is there something online or even like through Etsy, they're not, there's nothing that they're signing saying like, hey, I agree to this. So how does that work? Like if you haven't, if you see... I mean, maybe there's disclaimers, right? So like at checkout, there's a disclaimer. Like you can't legally disclaim or put away your right under the law if there is an actual standard that says like, hey, if you're selling children's goods, if you're you're selling children's jewelry, you need to verify that what you're selling and what you're marketing out there doesn't have X, Y, Z, then there's no way around that. But that's not what this law is saying. So as long as you as the jeweler are looking back at the manufacturer, whoever you're getting the jewelry from, show me that this quality is the quality, then then you're good. Okay. So say we didn't take that step. Say that there was a child that came and, you know, for whatever reason, we but we did purchase this chain or whatever that does stated like what the contents were like in the description, let's say, but we didn't reach out to them specifically saying like, hey, jeweler, we need this certificate. Are we then at fault of some because we didn't ask for that certificate or are we like, or are we just obviously just purchasing that chain? It was stated what was in, what would the materials were and that's all we needed, right? We didn't, do we need to go a step further? Well, like my legal response would be, it depends. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I'd obviously tell you that you should take that extra step. Um, you should verify that what you're getting is of quality. Honestly, there's that's just too much of a variable because it comes back to not just being a child, but like say there's an allergic reaction or there's something else going on there. That's where your your waiver comes in. That's, that's where the waiver comes in. Comes yeah, in. for sure. Your insurance comes in to then pay for the cost to litigate the case or pay for the cost of the judgment. There's too many what ifs there to really give you a a, a definitive answer to that. Because you're right, like the waiver, it would say along the lines like you're agreeing to this if you do get a reaction. Basically, that's you know again not our kind of not our responsibility, right? So that's something they're right. signing and, on. And then eventually, so like say you did get a piece of jewelry that was told to you. So like the manufacturer or the importer told you it was X, Y, and Z, and it didn't have lead in it. You can obviously, I mean, that would be your defense. Right. If I were your lawyer, I'd be like, well, she didn't know. This is what she was told. That was an intentional misrepresentation on their part. And then we would counter sue them. Right. I would just be like a giant triangle thing where they're suing you and now you're suing them. <laughs> and this is one big happy family for a couple of years. Yeah. Right. Again, anyone who sees anything, they want to avoid. And whatever you feel comfortable with, I think what it comes down to, too, I do it by a case-by-case basis, too. And if I get um, children, you know, I definitely talk to the parent about and just kind of kind of feel it out, really, and go with my gut when it comes to something like that. But again, dealing with a different even going forward, having a waiver, which will make me feel even better. Yeah. I'm like, don't do it if you're like, oh, I'm just like, does that help you? <laughs> yes, for sure. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. Because I've had people actually come with their child. And again, and this is, I typically don't do try to do anyone really three or four under, honestly, at, you know, but I have had people come to me that actually were upset by they went to another permanent jeweler and they wouldn't put it on their child and they were like mad about it. You know what I mean? So it's like, but again, we're all trying to do what's right for us, obviously. And you got to respect, you know, what they feel is right. It's just, it's kind of, it's this gray area where people are like, well, can we, or can we not? No one wants to be in any legal trouble, right? And no one wants to hurt anybody. So 
especially because it's permanent jewelry, you know, you have to decide at that point from your more of like a moral ethical standpoint. So it's not even necessarily like a legal thing, but then you decide whether you're okay with that or not. Because the last thing you want to do is then to resent your customers or to resent and be like, to then be thinking about that, right? And you don't want it to weigh on your energy and on your mind. But then maybe in that kind of situation, you're like, okay, well, I will end up doing it, but only if you sign this saying that that I don't recommend this, but that I'm willing to do it as long as you agree to anything happen. But honestly, something to be aware of, and one last thing we'll talk about with the children that are underage, is like, could there, as permanent jewelry, of course, is somewhat new, right? So as it rolls out, is there... I mean, there's a possibility there could be maybe a federal regulation or state by state, right? Could there be a state regulation when it comes to permanent jewelry of like, you can, no, no child under this age can get, it. you know, there that can happen, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Then we would have a state by state, even just even with the lead, right? Like there's different state things. Like California has its own regulations that imposes on children's jewelry. But yes, it can definitely be state by state. And we just, we don't currently have that yet. Right. Okay. So I, it, was, it's it something is something to, keep new. something to stay aware of, I guess. And what would be the easiest way to like know if something did pop up about that? Like a, a Google alert or something? I, right. <laughs> like, right. I feel like there would need to be like a representative or someone who something terrible happened to. And I'm like, but if they're going to allow piercings, then I don't see why they wouldn't allow permanent jewelry. And I think that that's that's a problem too. I think it's so, it's so new that when people hear the word permanent jewelry, they go right to the fact of like you're embedding it in their skin, right? So that's what they think. Yes, they think that it's like a permanent piercing, right? Because yeah, you're right. I mean, really, with so many things, I was asking about that too. If you're aware of like tattooing underage or you know the piercing, as far as I know, like yeah, there's no regulation. Yeah, it goes back to parent permission, and are you putting the child in danger? Right. So it's like. Eventually, that's through the parent and the child's relationship and whether someone steps in to protect the child from a parent, right? Yeah, because I, I tried getting a tattoo when I was 17. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, um, and I could not. My friends were 18 and they could. Thankfully, I didn't because now it's funny. Like, okay, you think what back. Would you have like, gotten? What would you Of course, like a butterfly, like tramp stamp or something, right? So like, it would have been so good now. What are you talking about? No back tattoo, right? So, so happy it didn't happen, really. But at the time, I was so disappointed because, again, they would have done it if they had a parent there to consent. It brings me back to that moment. So, anyway, moving on. 17, right? So, it goes back to that whole, like, what are they willing to do? But see, if they put that on you, your parents, oh, man, they could have brought that shop down. Right? That's actually permanent. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's so, not now. <laughs> I know, up. right? No, it's a process. Great technology. Yes, exactly. Hey, it's me. I'm going to jump in here real quick. Did you know you can have your own Goldie Links business? If you've been dreaming about having a successful permanent jewelry business, but you don't know where to start, or you have a permanent jewelry side hustle and want to take it to the next level and be a part of something bigger, then I would love to connect. Just go to BeAGoldieGirl.com, submit your info, and we can see if this is a good fit for you. So it's BeAGoldieGirl.com, B-E-A-GoldieGirl.com. Now back to the show. Let's talk really quick about trademarks. When would you want, because again, like I like how I'm going back to when you mentioned LLC that stuck out to me. So if you do have an LLC with your business name in your state, you're protected against anyone else having that name in your state. Is that correct? Well, no, not tech. No, you're not protected from that. You just are now claiming it like on the state level. So it's like no one else can file for that name as an LLC or corporation. Okay, but they can still technically use that name like they you know there's no legal reason they could use a lot the name. Of people on notice that you own it 
the only way to really like put everybody on notice and to really claim true ownership is through a trademark. Now, obviously, trademark is more complex. We are a first to use, not first to file federal nation. So what happens with that is even if if you are putting a name out there and you're making money, you technically at that moment have a claim for federal trademark protection. But do, does anybody else know that? Like if you're not if you're not easily found, if people don't you don't have like a giant online presence and no one knows about it, then someone can swoop in, file a federal trademark, and unless you were watching the USPTO.gov website, they may swoop in and 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 own that name before you federally, unless filed in opposition, and unless now you you sue them saying, hey, I actually used it first, which has happened in the past. Uh, but then that's a lawsuit. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if you do love your name, I always say this. Okay. My first lawyer thing, again, I put my lawyer hat on. It's like, should I file a trademark? I'm like, yes. The second you love your name and the second you're like, uh, I'm making money and I'm using it in commerce, file that federal trade. Is it realistic? No. So what do we ask? We ask ourselves, do I love my name? Am I going to be using it forever? Like if someone else were to file a trademark and taking my name, would I be devastated? Like, that's how I felt about Legal Doer. I thought it was the stupidest name and I loved it. And I was like, I'm a doer that does. Like, it was just, it's just like, that was me. And I'm like, I would be devastated if someone took that. So I filed it right away, but I'm able to file it myself. So it's like, can you, do you have the money to invest in a lawyer to do it? I definitely, definitely 110% like would not say to file it yourself. The federal trademark application is very complex. And about 50 to 80% of applications are rejected, which means you have to go through the whole thing and your fees are not refunded. So why would it be rejected? Maybe because you didn't do something correctly, I guess, when you do it yourself? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or the name wasn't good enough. So like there are certain requirements, like you have to have certain name requirements. It can't be general. It can't be descriptive. There's a lot of, it's complex. Like you, you have to first have a trademark worthy name. It has to be trademarkable. And then the application is kind of confusing. So you got to pick the correct class because trademarks are, are filed in like little buckets. So like if you go to Target and you look around and, and it's like different departments, if you think of Dove, you're like, what do you think of first? Do you think of the candy bar or do you think of the soap? And how are they both allowed to legally exist? Well, that's because they're in different departments. So if you walk into Target... You're not getting confused about buying Dove soap when you wanted Dove chocolate. You know exactly where to go. True, right? true. So that's what the classes are. So it's like being able to figure out where to put it. And obviously that's a generalization. If it's chocolate, if it's food, you know what department to put it in or what class to put it in. Picking those classes and filing in those classes gets a little bit complex. So that's just that's just where it goes. And let's real quick, like, I guess, say you trademark your name and then you someone else is using it, you find them and you serve like a cease and desist, which I think is what you do. And say they just continue, they ignore it and continue to use the name. You would have to obviously take the steps. What would you do at that point? So it kind of depends on where they're using it. If it's, um, you could do a lot of, you can do a lot of things. So yes, a cease and desist. Also, they really should stop because when there is a trademark violation, there are statutory damages. So I want to say behooves you, but that's a terrible word. It um, It's in your best interest to go ahead and go after them because you're going to get your attorney's fees paid for. You're going to get your the cost of the litigation paid for. And you're going to get your damages because it's all like statutorily driven. 
Oh, um, got it. Okay. And so, I mean, you obviously have to prove some of the damages, but it's more in your benefit to go after them. So yes, cease and desist. You can also potentially do some like takedown requests where you force like the website owner or the website host or the social media platform to deal with it on your behalf. And then obviously law lawsuit at the end of the day, because you're going to lose your trademark if you don't enforce it. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. You could lose it if you don't enforce it. Yeah, it makes your claim weaker. Okay, good to know. All so right. If you're so, out there as, as Goldie Links, but you're letting a bunch of other people operate under your name, then the law is like, well, then why are we protecting it for you? If you're just going to let everybody else use your name and you're not franchising it, you're not claiming it, you're not giving permission, everybody's just stole it and you don't care, then why are we protecting you? True. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. See, so many things I don't know. It's just like so many things. And you know what? Look you, right? So I'm like, some people like come to me and they're like, they're crying because they're like, oh my God, there's so much I don't know. I'm like, why would you know this stuff? Like, did I know. Long? And that's why I'm just a fan of like, even you said, like, if you were to trademark or do anything, like, I'm just a fan knowing how, like, in my even past business prior to doing this, how time consuming it can be to like literally, if you had to figure out every aspect of business and like dive into every single thing. You'd be you so wouldn't be able to grow your own. Well, yeah, and you wouldn't be able to grow your own business because literally, literally by the time I researched how to trademark and like do everything correctly, I could have been doing something else in my business that really moved the needle forward. You know what I mean? Like rather than focusing on this that I know is necessary, but it's like it doesn't make sense to do on my own, I guess. Right. Time is money. <laughs> so do you offer trademark help? I'm putting on the spot, but do you <laughs> offer that? Yes. My business is ever expanding. Um, but yes, I do offer that. I also do the starter LLC. So yes, I have a bunch of like DIY, do-it-yourself templates, checklists, how to run and start your business. And that's more like the DIY route. And I also have the I'll do it for you route where it's more of the legal services portion. And I know you, yeah. you've been talking a ton lately. UGC stuff. Oh, Yeah. Like, Okay. Yeah, you know, they have yeah. like very little to do with maybe with a lot of people listening, but I think that, you know, if you are going to sell a product and you're going to scale and you're going to, or you already do that with your permanent jewelry and you sell a product and you do have what is user generated content, what do you need to protect yourself with that? Because it's very interesting when you were talking about that, I'm like, I would never think you'd need anything in place for that. I know because it's all about intellectual property. So like something from like your guys' standpoint is maybe you're hiring a UGC creator. Maybe you're hiring that influencer to promote your business, to promote your okay. product. So from the UGC creator's perspective, they're selling you two things. They're selling you their intellectual property rights in the content itself. And they're also selling you their right to publicity, which is their right to monetize or commercialize their image, voice, and likeness. And you want to, as the business owner, you uh -huh. either one, want to own the content and the ability to publicize their image, voice, and likeness, or you want to license it and say, I'm going to rent the content and your voice or your image for three months, or I'm going to rent it, aka license it as a usage right for a year, and I'm going to use it organically on my business's social media page, or I'm going to put um, paid advertising behind this content creator's thing, or but I guess that's more of like influencer. So like there's a difference well, between yeah. UGC creator and influencer. So with the UGC creator, we're handing it to you as the business owner. So as the jeweler, you're going, okay, content creator or UGC creator, I'm going to pay you to create this content and I'm going to use it on my own social media page organically or as a paid ad through my account. Or 
influencer, influencer, I'm going to hire you for the content and the, the commercialization of your image for you to post it on your account. And then I'm going to be able to put ad spend behind it through your account. But there is so much legalese that comes around that because it's intellectual property, it's ownership, it's how am I going to pay them, it's how many deliverables does that include? So am I getting two TikToks? Am I getting an Instagram store? Am I getting e-posts? Are they allowed to archive it? So say you pay them $1,000 and they post for a day and then they archive it. Dang, did you put that in the contract that they weren't allowed to do that? Or what if they all of a sudden the next day go on a binger and you're like, I don't want my brand associated with that influencer now. Like they're doing drugs or they're super drunk and like inappropriate online. And I, you know, don't want that for my brand. Is there something in that contract to, to, to prevent that from happening? Right. And then do you get your money back or, you know, do you still own it? So there's just a lot of what ifs to okay. And you do have some UGC contract stuff, like templates as well, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have that for I have the for the actual for the creator. And then I have it as the business hiring creators because you're going to have different legal considerations. Right. Because even if you have a verbal agreement, again, that means nothing, right? If you are a business hiring them, you're so screwed because <laughs> they could, they own it. So just because you paid them for it, you don't own it. Unless you get it in writing. Like, you have no rights. You basically just, like, voluntarily gave them money. <laughs> like, they could do whatever they want. Okay. And then, like, yeah, because even when you said that, it's like, oh, say I got a UGC, like, a review or something really cool, and I wanted to boost the post. But I didn't, Yeah. and I wanted to make it an ad, like you said. But they, there was no agreement to that. They could come after me, right? For, oh, like, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? And I yeah. do that all the time, unfortunately. Like, I just did that for a creator. She gets paid, like, 2500 for every post. And I just got this brand to pay her $4,000 because they used it for three weeks or it was like a month and we reduced it and they had to pay her $4,000 because they basically stole her intellectual property because their contract was only for organic. It was never for paid ads. And so, yeah, like you're really like you're stealing their intellectual property, unfortunately. See, these are things I just don't. That's not how my mind works, you know? <laughs> uh, I know. I know. You know? It's but crazy, especially because you said, like, you feel like you have some ownership if you're paying someone for something and you can yeah. do whatever you want with it. Yeah, but not when it comes to, like, photographers, not when it comes to, like, creative things, right? It's, like, underlying intellectual property. It's not who's paying for it. It's who creates it. So if a photographer is taking pictures of your jewelry or of your brand, make sure that they've given you a license to use it however you want. Or maybe they have limitations on that. Maybe as a photographer, they're like, hey, I don't want you taking out the background. I don't want you changing the the imagery of it. I don't want you doing any touch-ups to it. You know, uh, it, that's my creative work. But if you buy if you buy these photos from them and they don't make you sign a contract saying that you can't edit that however you, you know, these different things you can do with it, could they still come, I guess, come after you because, because you bought these photos from them? They have not transferred intellectual property of that photograph to you. So they still own it, even though you bought it, but you didn't buy it because you have under the law, you guess you paid them to do it, but there was no written transfer of ownership. Okay. A great thing to know for photographers too, right? Like, I don't think that's, I mean, if they wanted to screen me, they could, you know, it's always just like, like, you know, sometimes like you have a friendly relationship with your photographer and, yeah. and you're like, you know, maybe it won't, maybe it won't happen. You know, maybe they're fine with it, but it's always better to just be like, hey, 
you know, because that's like when I was doing brand photos, that's like what I looked for. I was like, well, I need to be able to crop them. I need to be able to change it. I need to be able to remove background because I'm using this for my marketing purposes. And they're like, she wanted me to give credit to her. She wanted me to leave like her brand on it. I was like, no, because I'm using it for commercial purposes. Right. So a lot of times when the photographers are doing it for personal for personal use, they don't have as many restrictions on it. Or when you're using it for commercial purposes, that's when they tend to put on more restrictions. Good to know, because I've got my mind's just turning. I was I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I think this is coming into play a lot too. I actually saw it. I actually just, it made me think there was someone had posted in the group that they were like, they use their own personal photos of jewelry and someone took it from their account, right? They probably screenshot it so easy to steal a photo, whatever, as you know, like now, you know, with online. I think she did reach out to her and ask her to take it down. I'm not sure where it went from there, but it just brought me to that story because that is something that I guess, because even if you do a Google image search, you kind of, you kind of assume you can just use that image, but you probably, can you use those or no? Yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. Because um, they are copyright protected by whoever created them. So unless they're giving you a license or they're like, they relinquish like royalties to it, basically. So a lot of the times there's a government website that you can go to where it's like, it's not not copyrighted, but it's for the public domain. So I agree with you. It's like, it's so hard because it's like, but it's on the internet. It's the, but that's not the public domain. Right. Okay. So the way you can use photos, the way you can use photos is obviously belonging to somewhere where it allows you to like maybe like a stock photo website. Yeah. Or Canva, right. like, cause they give you the license. Like they've figured that out. With okay. Whoever created it, like they got the license for you, but that also has limitations. Like if you look under Canva, like a lot of people that do the print to t-shirts get in a lot of trouble because there's certain things under Canva where it's like, well, that actually isn't part of our licensing agreement with you. Or like with digital products, they're like, well, certain parts of our graphics, you actually can only send a link. You can't have like a thing where they are able to edit it. And like, there's just so many different requirements. So whatever platform you're on, you are going to want to look for what is the licensing agreement for the images, the music, all that stuff. Yeah, I know the music is a huge thing too. Huge. Um, yeah. Yeah. And those record labels do not mess around. So if you are creating content for your brand, be careful. Don't use commercially or as a business, make sure you're using the business account that shows you what you can use commercially. If they do not mess around, they will come after you. Is there a limit to how long you can play the music? Well, there's no Yeah. Okay. No, you know what? You're not the only one that thinks that. I think that that was just like a myth that was spread around, but there is no limit. Like even if you use a second of it. Really? Um, okay. Well, people okay. will readily recognize it, but... Right. You can use it within, like, even the songs we can, like, use on Reels and Instagram, for example. Why is that possible? Through the platform. Through, Through the platform. Because so like, you, can't, you can't share it. And it doesn't, usually if you share it too, it doesn't, the music doesn't come with it. Even if you share it, you know, you save it to your phone. The music, it's always inside the app. Yes. So, and also there's a difference. So sometimes if you're in TikTok and you use that video, you may not be able to use it over on Instagram because they have different licensing agreements with the record labels, Sony, um, oh gosh, there's so many, but like TikTok has its own like, hey, these are the ones that we have purchased the license so you can commercially use these, these songs. And then Instagram and Facebook actually make it terribly difficult to figure out what is allowed or not. But they have their own separate agreements on what music can be used. Like you said, I mean, honestly, again, like these are all things to just be aware of. And also like, the things that might happen again, even with um, you know, someone coming after for an injury or something like something like that happening is obviously so few and far between. But again, 
You never know what can happen. Case in point being the- It could be life-ruining. It could potentially be life-ruining in a way. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a thing. I mean, they aren't small things. So if something does happen, heaven forbid, which is why we protect ourselves with insurance and all the things we do, right? You never want to deal with it. But then once you have a claim, gosh, you are so glad that you did. (laughs) Well, thank goodness. And it's something to be aware of. Like, you know, it's funny. It just brings me a couple of things I've done that I just didn't even think of. Like in the past, like, so there was this long time ago. I, I w- had my jewelry on Etsy. And I I named a pair of earrings Harpo Hoops. And Harpo is Oprah, right? That's her That's her company. So they contacted me and told oh, yeah. me to take it down. I was like, oh my gosh. So I'm like, I'm just some little person selling my earrings on Etsy. I had no idea. I don't, I just, my mind doesn't work that way. I don't think about, I actually had also some violation. Yeah. Yeah. So of course I'm, you know, you get scared. <laughs> okay. I'm taking it down right now. I'm so sorry. Tell Oprah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it was Oprah because if it was Disney, man, they go after people and they do not let up. Like they don't care that you're a mom and pop. They will take every penny from you and shut you down. Really? So that's also something, again, this, again, we can have a conversation forever because, you know, when it comes to people talked about that too, about using certain words that are like copyrighted or like, you know, even, yeah, the whole, I think using Disney type of like jewelry components and stuff, I think you have to be kind of careful, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Um, because, and I would steer clear of Disney because they don't mess around, they enforce their stuff like no other. They own their characters, they own the names, they own Disney, they own the trademarks, and they enforce them like crazy. So say you need a necklace or something that had like a Mickey, you know, looking charm or something that you made or whatever, like we can't do that or? Legally, no, not unless you have, not unless it was from Disney and it's a Disney licensed Mickey Mouse head, no. Oh my gosh, so many things, so many things, like, and even certain, I think, isn't it certain terms you can't use, you know, using, I thought I heard something about using the word smiley face or something, like something was copyrighted or you couldn't use. Oh yeah. There's some things that are just like outlandish. It's when they trademark a phrase or slogan. But I mean, there was like a thing about the candles, right? Like there was a thing about a candle names were being filed for like trademark or copyright. And there was like, wait, what? And they're putting all these candle makers, like they had to rename their candles. It has to also be like within your same niche too. So if you have, you know, it has to be like other jewelers that have claimed that tagline, right? So it's so like, that also happened to me. So I someone came to me to stamp, and I, I talked about this in another episode actually, where a, a customer had come to me asking me to stamp this quote in a like a bar pendant, you know, and I did it, and I posted it on my Instagram, and I got contacted almost right away, like within the 24 hours of me posting, saying that it was a, whether it was a trademarked quote, because they also had, the quote was on many different things. I think it was like a fitness brand or a fitness influencer, because it was like an inspirational quote. And it was on a piece of jewelry. She very much similar to what I made, because obviously they just wanted me to make it at a cheaper price. So I, so I made this like basically what they sell as well, not knowing that because a customer just came to me asking me to make that. And then I was like, again, very apologetic. I had no idea. So they're enforcing their rights, right? They're enforcing it. So what it is, they're they're enforcing what's called dupes. And you really particularly need to be careful with that. If you ever start selling your jewelry on TikTok shop, they they take that very seriously. If you were to sell that necklace on TikTok shop and the person notified TikTok shop, they would not only shut down your account, but they would take all the money that was in your account. 
and you never be back on the platform again. Like they are so, so meticulous about dupes. Uh, yes, I would absolutely be careful with that. So on, on TikTok though, like if you, if they're, what do they consider a dupe? Like how is, how do they know which one came first? Well, say like a Stanley Cup, right? So like this is a real life example. And there was a creator on there who thought it was a Stanley Cup. So like, I actually feel really bad for her because she was promote, she promoted it and she got compl- shut down. She lost like $10,000 in her no. shop account. And there was no like intentional or non-intentional way around it. She's like, I literally thought it was a Stanley Cup, but it was a dupe, right? But like, there's also the thing where it's like, there's no like, well, I didn't know this was the exact same necklace as this other person's, right? Like the customer had you do it. There's no excuse there, unfortunately. Okay. This, you need to make your own original works. Like it needs to come from your brain. And obviously, if you're oh, like... Oh, for sure. But I'm like saying, like, how do they judge that? How do they know that you're the dupe and maybe the other person wasn't the dupe? Does that make sense? Well, like, yeah, how do they well, know? Well, I guess in case with, like, necklaces and, like, creative necklaces and, like, clothes and stuff, like, that would be more of, like, a proof where you're like, here's a picture of the day I created it. You know, it, it would have to... There would probably be more evidence gathering. Um, But obviously, Stanley Cup has been around for over 100 years. So, like, Stanley was first. And also, it was a copycat. Yeah. It was more of a, it was more of a copycat situation. But, yeah, as it comes more to, like, the creative jewelry aspect, it's like, well, how long have you been selling it? And is it the name? Like, if it's Goldie Lynx necklace but you're creating a dupe of pandora necklaces then it's like well you know you were copying pandora right but like there's a difference with like well we both came up with this idea and it's not like you're actually copying it or trying to sell it as a pandora necklace so i mean obviously there's some creative and like giveness there i guess Okay. Wrapping up because again, we could keep talking forever, but I really advise people to follow you on Instagram because you have so many amazing nuggets. And I feel like that is something just again, to keep up on. And I even saw you had something about the legitimacy of an LLC. And if you don't have this file and I'm like, oh my God, like I would have never known that if I didn't start following you and just kind of look through these videos. And it's a great way to stay informed. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. So, but is there anything else that I feel like we haven't covered that you think anyone should be aware of or anything that's missing, I feel, you know? No, I feel like this is a good like stepping stone of just like, hey, what are the biggest concerns when it comes to permanent jewelry and what do you need to look out for? And it's getting your business set up correctly, figuring out what makes sense for you personally. Because yeah, the legalese is there, the law is there, but like what makes sense for you on your business journey and what gives you that peace of mind? What What is the legal foundation and future that you have for your business? So it all comes down to also more of a personal thing. And obviously, if you need legal help, I'm here if and when you need me. So cool. I know I was going to ask, like, yeah, where, where do we find you? Legal Doer. Yeah. So on Instagram, it's Legal Doer. That's where I'm most heavily active and legaldoer.com for my website. And like I said, we are, I'll link some things in the show notes and we are going to have a waiver that you can like a template that you can use. So it's perfect. We, yeah. You don't have to think about it. <laughs> exactly. That's what I want. Done. Okay. Done. Check that well, off. Thank you so it. much for educating us today and making my mind spin. I'm going to be like thinking about this stuff all day long, about all the legal crazy, but it's good to know that we have you to lean you have on. Resources. Yes, you have resources. You don't have to struggle alone. You don't have to do this. You know, you don't have to be stressed out. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. You know, once you get it down and you have a road plan or like an actual plan and you're able to make those decisions, I swear legal could actually be empowering. I agree. I think it's just a peace of mind. Like I said, if if I know I have things in place or in the back of my mind, I know that, hey, I don't have, I don't have a waiver. I don't have that, you know, and it's always like in the back of my mind. 
And um, it's just so like, it's a peace of mind knowing that you just have everything in place. And like you said, it's, it might be a little bit not enjoyable, again, more enjoyable with you for sure. And having templates and making it easy. But once you have those things in place, like they're in place, right? Yeah. It's like, have to do it again. Okay. yeah, it's there. It's done. Easy peasy. Yes, for sure. Yes. Rather than dealing with the ramifications, if something were to go wrong in place. Right. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like the headache now is so much better than the headache later. <laughs> like, right. And it's going to be more costly too. Woo. Yeah. So much work costly. But I yes, mean, thank you so much for having me. This yes, has been of course. wonderful. It's been really fun. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Well, how do you feel? I hope you found value in today's episode and you walk away feeling inspired. I would love to hear from you. Let's link up. You can find me on Instagram at Goldie Link Society. You can find out more about our permanent jewelry membership at GoldieLinkSociety.com. Our handmade permanent jewelry supplies of connectors, chain, and more at GoldieLinkSupplies.com. Okay, I will see you next time. Have a golden day.